0: Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? All right. There's two of you. They're doing great. That's all right. The rest of you, by the time the morning is over, my hope is uh, we'll all be doing better than that uh, because I hope uh, that you're going to leave here with a sense of empowerment this morning, knowing that the battle that you're fighting, whatever it might be, uh, that you're not by yourself and that if God is with you, no one can stand against you. It doesn't matter how big the enemy appears to be. It doesn't matter how long you've got to march. The battle's already... Ours. Uh, If this is your first time here in a while, uh, we've been in a series we're calling Ready for Anything because, at this point of, uh, particularly in the time that we're living in, it's more important for us to be ready for whatever it is that God is going to do, for whatever the enemy might throw at us, than it is to necessarily know what's coming next. That if we can just develop a constant sense of readiness, That if God tells us today, hey, go to fight this battle. Hey, today you're going to go do this. Hey, this is coming at you or whatever. And you're ready for anything. That allows us to walk with boldness and courage and hope instead of fear. Instead of this kind of constant haze of uncertainty that can be pretty paralyzing. And Joshua is one of those things. He's in that phase again where they're still waking up every day. And it's pillar, cloud, and fire, and manna. And then it's all of a sudden it'll be after today, it's battle after battle after battle. He gets up and he says, okay, now I want you to go fight this guy. And here's what I want you to do. Okay. And he does it. Okay. I want you to get up, go fight this guy and then in this nation and then go do it. Boom. And then it happens. But he's just standing there ready for God to do anything, say anything. And he's ready to obey anything that God calls upon him to do. So today we're going to look at the infamous Battle of Jericho, okay, and uh, the old Sunday school song, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, you know the next line, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, Uh, and the third line, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, Uh, is actually historically inaccurate, he doesn't fight the battle until the walls come down, but that doesn't make a good Sunday school song, so he flipped the order. But this is the day. The walls come down. Uh, But one of the things that people gloss over is what it took to get them to this day. Joshua, you may remember, was a little boy. He grew up in slavery in Egypt. He was there. He's one of those few people, those old relics. People that remember what it was like to be a slave. And then he comes out. He's delivered as part of the Israelite nation from that, and then he goes through the entire, he becomes Moses' wingman, his understudy, if you will, and he goes even half up on, uh, to Sinai. When Moses gets the Ten Commandments, he's kind of the wingman. Moses eventually passes him the baton, but that's after, again, 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years of waking up Every day, looking for the pillar of cloud and the fire, seeing the same stinking meal served every day. Man and quail, man and quail, man and quail, man and quail. People grumbling. What else is new? Okay, we're just gonna get up and we're gonna go wherever the pillar of cloud and fire 40 years. <laughs> okay, that's like three years ago in my life. My entire life, I would have just been going around doing that over and over and over again. And today, he's going to get another kind of odd instruction that after all that time, he's going to get brought through the Jordan River. And then you may remember from last week, they decide they're going to set up a memorial there because nobody wants to be able to forget what God did there. And so now it's time, except it's not. God gives him another task. He's going to ask him to go march around the city day after day after day. Don't say anything you're not to speak. You just blow your horns and you march. You know, Hebrews 10:36 says this. Patient endurance is what you need now. So you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. That's kind of the plot line of Joshua. Patient endurance, patient obedience. That's what ends up getting you to the promised land. Now, it's, God, it's not that you earn it. It's that that's how God leads his people often. Now, we have a choice to make. This is not a video game to God. Those of you, raise your hand if you've ever played video games in your life. Let's see the hands. Oh, pretty much everybody, all right? Some of you were born and raised in a, a different time where... Uh, I don't know, you guys use puppets or something, I don't know what you did, but <laughs> pre video game, I'm one of the original video game era kids. Uh, there's always this time, my, my kids have all played video games, even my nine-year-old plays games at least on the phone and she, she does Minecraft and stuff like that, uh, yeah, I got a few woos in the house, right? Uh, well, video games have come a very long way since I was a kid. Um, I was raised in the original uh, Atari 2600 generation. I can remember a time when you had a stick and a button and that's all you had. And then it went to the Nintendo Entertainment System, Uh, and that had a controller with four arrows on it, an A and a B button, a select and a start. And uh, we could spend, in the summertime, my friends and I would go on these benders of about four days, solid, no sleep. We'd just crash on the couches in my buddy's garage, and we would sit up, and we would just play these games, man. And it would be like, hey, wake me up when I got next. You know, I got next, wake me up when it's my turn, and then you would just play, Okay, well, this year, I mean, it's gotten to the point now where it's graduated to the point that the the competitions where people play against each other are big money with big audiences, people showing up to watch people play each other in video games. In 2018, there's a game called Dota 2. The world champion got $25.5 million. Now, just to put that on a scale, that's about what Kevin Durant made playing basketball last year. And somebody, for playing a video game, won $25.5 million. This year, they're having the big Fortnite World Championship. The prize pool is $100 million. Okay, It used to be when me and my friends were playing these games, I'd be like, hey, man, if I beat you, you got to give me half of your Doritos. That's kind of what happened. <laughs> now, it's, now it's like big money, and people show up to watch other people play. Now there are these things called walkthroughs. Right? That's new. They didn't have YouTube and all that back then. So you literally had to watch somebody. You had to be there live and watch your friend play. And usually you're too disinterested. You would just say, yeah, I'm going to go do something else. Let me know. Call me when when I'm up next. I'll come to your garage and play it. But now people will get online or they'll buy tickets to go to a theater and watch somebody play. And do what's called a walkthrough. And the idea is that they're better than you at it. You go, you watch, and you learn how to play the game by watching them play it better than you play it. Okay. I'm going to suggest to you that that's the prism and the lens through which we need to read this story today. That what we're watching here is a walkthrough. Uh, we're watching Joshua, we're watching the people of Israel do this in such a way that we are supposed to then not just let it go by. We're supposed to take it and then go do the same thing, be able to take our game, if you will, to the next level. Now, when I was a kid, and I know they still have these, but there were these things called cheat codes. Um, and I mean, the people would trap. They would find them out, and they would literally sell them. They would traffic them at school like drugs. You would go. A cheat code could take you if you were playing like Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Did anybody play that? Come on, raise your hand. Get you. Don't be shy. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. If you were if you were raised in my generation, you played Mike Tyson's Punch Out. The goal was to get fight, beat all these people to get to Mike Tyson. The problem is, if you got beat by Tyson, you went all the way back to the beginning. You had to fight 23 more people to get back and get killed by Tyson again. So somebody then found the cheat code that gets you right to Mike Tyson, okay? And I was, I was four digits off, okay? I literally remembered the cheat code, okay? Now, why I can remember that, <laughs> 007-373-5963, all right? Uh, that's the cheat code that takes you all the way to Mike Tyson, okay? Now, here's the thing. All the time, people walk into church and they want a cheat code. Uh, they're looking for me or they're looking for the Bible to just kind of come on in and say, Oh, yeah, you want victory in battle? Here you go. The answer is 007 373 5963. And so you can leave here and you can go do, 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 and there you go victory. I can pass over all that discipleship stuff and just get the victory. I can just get the opportunity. You know, I can just punch it right in and then I don't have to mess around with the people. You know, I don't have to hear any boring sermons. I don't have to hear any music. I don't have to give any money. I don't have to serve. I don't have to love people that are weird. And I don't have to do a, you know, I don't have to go to groups. I don't have to do any of that. Just give me the cheat code, pastor. That's all I want. I'm a mess right now. Just give me the cheat code. Okay, here's the thing. The cheat code... For victory in battle is this. There is no cheat code. And the people who go around spending their life looking for the cheat code never find it. They spend their life looking for cheat codes. What you're going to hear is a version of what I've already told you almost every Sunday you've ever heard me preach. And the overall point goes something like this. If you really want victory to be real in your life, Obey God. All right, let's stand and sing. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's that's really it. That's the, that's the, the one thing that Curly would point out in City Slickers or whatever. That's it. That's the point. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the cheat code. Now, here's the problem. That is not as easy as it seems. And for the Israelites, I want you to put this right in, I mean, let it just soak into your bloodstream what it has taken for them to get here. At this point, Jericho, he says walk around Jericho. It wasn't that big. You could walk around it in about an hour. When I go on a walk around my neighborhood, it takes about an hour to just do one loop. I know how big it is. It's like my neighborhood, but it's not the the size of the city that was so formidable. It was The walls, those big, stinking, huge walls that they had built because they'd heard about what had happened. They heard about the Passover. They heard about the military victories that God had given the people, and so they make those walls higher, 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 thicker, thicker, thicker. And so we get to then pull up where Joshua and the people of God are, right outside the walls, where they're camped out. They've just celebrated the Passover. Everybody that needs to be circumcised has been circumcised. As a big bummer, some guys have been circumcised twice. Oof. So they had celebrated the Passover. All the circumcisions that needed to happen, have happened. The two most powerful symbolic acts of the covenant. symbol of God's promise to Abraham and the symbol of God's promise of liberation from slavery. God is fundamentally a covenantal God. If I was going to go into battle, one of the things I would want to do is make sure that I had full connection with the power and presence of God. And so Israel does that very thing. Despite Israel's struggle to remain faithful over the years, God keeps His promises. He had promised them a land oozing with milk and honey, and now after hundreds of years of slavery, crying out to God, He delivers them, and now after 40 years in the wilderness, He's about to deliver them again. It's finally time. The moment that generations had longed to see was here. And Joshua wakes up, I think he's probably ready, but he runs into somebody. He encounters somebody. We read about it in Joshua chapter 5. So this is verse, uh, we'll read verses 13 to 15. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell down with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. So the commander of God's army shows up with his sword drawn, as he always does in Scripture. Whenever he shows up, his sword is never put in its sheath. It's out in his hand. Like, he's ready for battle. So I'm sure in that time and place, if you see somebody coming towards you with a sword in their hand, get my attention now, right? You come at me with a sword in your hand, I'm going to We good, you know? (laughs) That's basically what he does. Are you a friend or a foe? And I love what he says. I'm neither. I'm not on your side or theirs. I'm on God's side. And I'm just here to make sure that God's will is done, God's will is going to get done. I'm going to see to it. That's what I do. And Joshua understands who he is. And in a scene that's very reminiscent of what you see with Moses at the burning bush, for instance, you know, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. He does that very thing. I mean, you can answer. It's funny. Uh, he goes, are you a friend or a foe? And the actual answer is no. And Joshua's like, so, so does that mean you're a friend or foe? I, it's kind of a confusing answer that he gives him. But what he's saying is, I'm really, I'm really not on your side or their side. He and the army of the Lord are not for Israel or Canaan. They're for God. You see, every battle out there belongs to the Lord. The earth that you're fighting the battle on is the Lord's. And this is super, super, super important. To understand God, God's ownership of everything. Because it shapes how we live so significantly. We often see the world as our particular drama. You probably walked in here today carrying a set of burdens. So, what you really were looking for, uh, some of us, was to do something that we will find helpful to deal with the thing that's going on here. Now, here's, here's it's subtle, but it's significant, okay? What often ends up happening is then we go into battle, or we perceive the battle in front of us, and we think the solution is essentially to draft God into our army and make him the strongest soldier as we fight. But what we see here as Joshua and the people are getting ready to fight this battle is that that's not really how it works. When you become a Christian, God enlists you in his army and your job is to fight on his behalf. So whatever it is that you're going through, the question really isn't, okay, where is God and how can I get God on my side? The question is, what would God have his people to do? What would God want to see happen? And then how do I align myself with that? That may sound like very obvious or whatever, but I will tell you, I literally, as I was preparing the sermon this week, I was looking at something at, in, in that exact way. Boy, I really could use God's blessing on it. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That battle belongs to God. That's a spiritual battle. That belongs to God. And so my task as a pastor, as a Christian, as whatever, is to go, okay, what's the conclusion? What's the 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 end that god would want to see here and then how do i align my actions my attitudes everything to see that happen rather than making god trying to make god the strongest soldier in my own army coming to an understanding that i am a soldier in his army and so that's a lesson that joshua gets at the outset god's army is about to win the battle okay it's not something that he's going to be able to do on his own so every time that i'm tempted to look at the world i'm in through the wrong prism, which would be something like through the lens of human rights or, or possessions, who owns what, I have to remember that God looks up there, and he's, he's not uh, vague about any of it, because he looks down and he goes, it's all mine. It's all mine. And that would be very frightening if God were not good. But that's a good reminder to me that because God is good, and he's overall that it's really more a matter of my alignment with Him before I go into battle. This is no video game to God. He doesn't act the way that He does for kicks. He acts the way that He does because it is right and good for Him to act the way that He acts. His decisions transcend all of our notions of God being only with us. Okay? God's not de facto with you no matter what you do. The commander of the Lord's army, and you're deciding you're going to do something in opposition to God... Who's the commander of the Lord's army fighting for? God. So it's entirely possible for you to maybe wear Israelite army so to sp- uh, armor, but not actually be fighting for God, but to put yourself in a path where you're fighting against the will of God, something they're going to learn in next week's sermon when they go to a battle in a place called Ai. Okay, now after interacting with the commander of the Lord's army, it's time for them to finally proceed. So Uh, here's what we see, Joshua 6, 1 and 2. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. Now notice, you can underline that because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, again, past tense, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. The higher the walls, the harder they fall. What do you mean? You know, we often when we face opposition or we find some uh, thing that we're in, it's very tempting to say that, oh, well, maybe this is against the will of God because if it was God's will, it would be very easy. Often what ends up taking place is when you face significant opposition to something that you're doing, and I don't mean that, you know, anything you're doing. I'm talking about something where you're actually trying to take ground for the kingdom of God. Not just, I want to try a new hobby or something like that, and I can't find the time. Not that. Nothing trifle, trifling, just tiny. It has, I'm talking big kingdom things. You should expect the walls to get higher and thicker. Why in the world would the enemy want to let you sachet right on in and take everything? No way. I mean, if I told you that tonight somebody was coming to break in your house while you were asleep, what would you do? <laughs> Get the gun, you know, lock the doors, whatever. Get my friends to come over with their guns and we're all going to, right? That's what you do when somebody's getting ready to take something that isn't yours, okay? It says that the reason that they, the walls were high and thick because they were terrified. You can go back to the Rahab story a couple of weeks ago, right? They said... Rahab goes, tells the spies, she goes, hey, I've heard of you guys. We're all terrified. Everybody in here is terrified. So the walls get thicker and higher. So when you decide that you're going to do something that's going to take real uh, ground for the kingdom of God, you can expect the walls to be very high and very thick. So instead of looking at it as a, and they're probably going to be higher and thicker than anything you can take out, okay which is why again divine intervention is really what's taken so for instance i know i knew that when our church made the decision that it made to go down to grand there was a preparation phase where you just go the walls are about to get real high and real thick because the last thing that satan would want is for our for a church of all things to take a corner that's been his for generation Why would it be easy? What what, what biblical text can you find where it was easy? It's never easy. It's never easy. Because the enemy will fortify the walls. He'll make them taller. He'll make them thicker. Thicker than you can penetrate with all your cannons and guns. And so unless you have divine power behind you, It's going to be like, you know, firing a BB gun at a freight train. you got no chance at all. Now, it's funny because I I want to ask a couple of questions. Do we consider the idea that the size of the resistance we face is because the evil one knows that if you overcome, that he is done having influence in your life? So the walls get thicker and higher. What if the size of the walls had more to do with the size of the victory that you're about to win? Because Jesus would use a similar illustration. He would say, Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the gates of hell, I don't know what they're like. I hope I never see them. <laughs> but it says, I bet they're pretty stinking thick. But he says, they don't stand a chance against the church. And why is that? Because the same God who brings these walls down can bring those down too. So if God is with you, he drops them. No matter how big they are, no matter how thick they are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many armies the other, the, the, the other side has. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is God on your side, and if he is with you, then nobody can stand against you. That's... The message of this text. So then God speaks about the past tense about the battle. Because again, he can win any battle he wants. Anytime. With a thought. A fleeting thought. An exhale. He can win any battle that he wants. And so he says to them, You've already got Jericho. I've already given you Jericho. And though, 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 the battle is already won. God has work for Joshua to do. One of the ways, then, that we worship God continues to be obedience, perseverance. This is what Joshua role models for us, the importance of complete, consistent, long-term obedience. When I was just a baby preacher, a young guy, I would really admire people who started new things. I, I have an entrepreneurial streak in me. People who really, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to go to a, a foreign place and start a new church. It's awesome. I'm going to be here, start a new church. Awesome. You're going to come up with a new idea. Awesome. To start a new business. Awesome. And that is awesome. That's good. But you know who I admire now? People who finish things. There's a huge difference between I got a girl pregnant and I raised my kids. There's a big difference between I had a wedding and I died with the same woman by my side. There's a big difference between starting a church and pastoring a church over a long term. There's a big difference between saying, I'm going to follow Jesus at the moment I'm baptized, and following him every day over a lifetime. And one of the, the amazing things about Joshua, he really is one of the true heroes of the Bible. He has very few dings in his resume. Most of the real Mount Rushmore people in the kingdom of God, if you pulled, assume Jesus is not on there, okay? If you're taking non-Jesus heroes, most, three of the four would have big dings in their resume. Okay. Joshua has a pretty clean resume. He avoids the major problems in ministry. What he does is he learns obedience. And it's his faith to simply believe what God tells him and do it. And to do it year after year. Day after day. And now he's going to be given a really strange instruction that he's going to continue to obey. He's given a divine battle plan, and it goes like this. Leave nothing behind. Everything must go. All people and animals are to be killed. All silver and gold are to be taken to the treasury of God's house. March around the city with men of war once a day for six days with the priest carrying uh, the Ark of the Covenant and and blowing ram horns as you go. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. And after you've done it seven times, stand up, shout with a great shout, and the walls will fall down flat. But you don't speak. No words. A week of silence. All you're doing is what the Lord said. See how awkward that silence was? (laughs) Imagine that day after day for a week and then doing it seven times God's instructions are a little shall we say unconventional well what about the spears and the horses and the cannons and the you know nuclear bombs or whatever else we can throw at each other no take your horns and the ark that's all you're going to need. And so when you're walking around confused, they're not supposed to talk. I don't know if they knew sign language or what. My guess is they had no communication. Get up, march around the city once, which would have taken them about an hour. And then go back to your tents, spend the night. Then do that once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around it seven times. And then shout when I tell you to. So he's going to do it. No cannons, no bullets. Have you ever noticed that things that look easy are not easy? Um, There's a pastor that I know who has a UFC fighter in his church. And he had, after one of the fights that this guy had had, where he demolished the guy inside of the first round, He was FaceTiming with the guy, and he said, hey, man, you don't even look like you've been in a fight. He goes, doesn't look like it's very hard for you. And he told him, he backed him up, and he said, Pastor, please don't say that again. (laughs) Because what you're missing is the six months of training that preceded the fight, the lifetime of training that it took to get there, and then the ability to then fight against a person whose primary task is to dismember you in front of everybody. No, it's not easy. What Joshua is getting ready to do is not easy. It took 40 stinking years of wandering for other people's sin. Other people's sin. He didn't do anything wrong, as far as we know. And here he is, stuck out in the stinking desert, Waiting and waiting and waiting, trying to stay faithful, trying to keep the people together. I mean, and then day after day, they march around this stupid wall. Not a brick falls. I mean, (laughs) wouldn't it be better if when you exercised, the first time that you started to do a push-up or a sit-up, your abs started to look better? Immediately. Yeah, amen, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be easier if the second I started to pray, I could visually see the results of it right away? Wouldn't it be better if all the challenging things that are put before us in life, the second we put our hand to the plow, you could show up to church discouraged once, And at that point, even as I spoke, the very heavens opened up, and the presence of God descended on you like a dove, and all your discouragement was permanently removed, and you could see it, and everybody could look at you and go, oh, look at them, all their discouragement has been taken away. See, one of the questions about this text is, are you going to keep walking when it doesn't seem to be working? What about that? What? Are you going to keep walking? I know you said that, you know, becoming part of a church would make a change in my life, and I've been showing up now for three weeks. I haven't seen anything. Some of you are going to go, I've been coming for two years, and it hasn't. I keep falling into the same stinking sins every time. Are you going to keep walking? Or are you going to stop after a lap or two? Because again, the promise of God is that seven days. Now, you'll notice something interesting if you go back and read it later. Joshua doesn't seem to tell the men how long they're going to be doing this. God tells him, but he doesn't tell them. He just says, okay, we're going to march every day. Seven days from now, we're going to do it this way. All right, but he doesn't tell them that the walls are coming down. I mean, get real. Can you imagine going back to your tent after day one? You go back. Your wife's there at the tent. She says, hey, Brutus, or whatever his name is, (laughs) my big strapping man, did you take Jericho today? No. um, I think Joshua just kind of wants us to limber up a little bit for the battle. I think, uh, you know, but I think tomorrow, is going to be the day. Tomorrow's for sure. Okay. Day two, he comes back. Same thing. Yeah, you know, I think he's concerned that maybe we exerted ourselves a little bit. Um, he just want to take it slow. He just want to take it slow, make sure we don't, we don't go too fast. And day three comes by and he goes back and he keeps having the same conversation. It had to be like Noah building an ark You know, it had to be like Moses telling Pharaoh, let the people go, and hearing no. Right? But the question of the text ultimately becomes, are you going to stay faithful and walk when it doesn't seem to be working? Because that's what faith takes. Faith is about walking in faith and trust that what God said he's going to do, he's going to do. And that when you believe it, the the promise of God is what pulls you forward, not the results. And so I don't stop after a lap or two. I don't stop and, heaven forbid, I stop at six. Oh, what a tragedy that would have been. Or on day seven to quit after round three, walking around. Will you keep forgiving people when they don't reciprocate? Are you going to keep serving and giving and encouraging even when you don't see real impact happening because of that? Are you going to keep preaching, pastor, even when the people turn on you? You haven't turned on me, I'm just saying, hypothetically. Right? Are you going to keep doing what God has called you to do because he called you to do it, trusting that his promise still stands? Or are you going to say, whew, that lap burned me up yeah I didn't see anything fall down no bricks fell in fact I didn't even see the wobble of the wall I went up and knocked on it felt pretty sturdy to me so I'm going to go back to my tent Joshua keeps going and with a great shout on the seventh day down come the walls and the people enter in Joshua 6 15 to 20 On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, "'Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies.'" Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourself will be completely destroyed. Remember that line. It's going to come in handy next week. And you will bring trouble on all the camp of Israel. Remember that line. That's going to be important next week. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of ram horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Woohoo. Can you imagine that sound? Who won the battle? Have you ever tried screaming at a wall and seeing if it fell down? If you figure out you can, please go to the corner of Grand and Juniper. (laughs) They could use you down there. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. They're doing a great job. They have to do it super carefully and everything. But I'm going, no, that's not how it works. You can't scream a military-grade wall down. So who want it. See, I think in that often passed over text, the commander of the Lord's army shows up to let Joshua know we're here. We're taking this for you. Or we've already taken it. You just do what God told you. When the time's right, I'll just kind of sneeze in that direction. The whole wall's coming down. And God wins that great, great victory. See, the recipe for victory in battle is not go march around seven times or spend seven days marching on the seventh day, march around it seven times. The recipe for victory in battle is walk in the presence of the Lord all the days of your life. If you want to know the cheat code, there it is. Walk in the presence of the Lord all the days of your life. When do I get a day off from that? Never. And it'll be the most abundant way of life you can fathom. And yes, you will have many adventures and yes, you will fight many battles. And the promise of God is if He's with you, the battle is already yours. It's in the past tense at that point. Now, if you decide you're going to fight on the other side, you can't win. God is still undefeated, and He will remain undefeated. That's right. But if you are in Christ and you align yourself with His Son, the battle is yours, the battle is ours, the battle belongs to the Lord. It is so tempting to think sometimes that we're masters of our own destiny. And we reject that kind of dependence on God as though it makes us weak somehow. The truth is that the strongest person there is is the most dependent on God. The one walking most strongly and most powerfully in the light of God. That's the strongest person. That's the one I would be afraid of if I were their enemy. That's the faith. That kind of faith is what brings the walls down. And so... We keep marching. We're not going to stop on six. That's one way to phrase it. We don't stop on six. This is faith. Believing in God's character and power and living according to his will. By faith, the gates fell. Hebrews 11.30 says, It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days. And the walls came crashing down. Now this is not a walkthrough where you just watch somebody play and then you go on about your business. This is not like going to a Padre game or something where you go watch them play and then you go home and say, wasn't that cool? This is supposed to be something very different, very other It's summertime here in Southern California, so we think of the music of the Beach Boys. Rightfully so. They sing of waves, and girls, and cars, and surfing. Dennis Wilson was the original drummer. I have a cousin named Dennis, because my uncle is just that big of a Beach Boy fan. Dennis was the original drummer, and he... uh, was the one who first came to them in 1961 and said, guys, surfing's getting pretty popular. You should write a song about that. So they sat down, let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how to come on a safari with me. And then it became, uh, if everybody had an ocean across the USA, everybody be surfing like California a. And Surfer Girl, I loved that song when I was a kid. The little line in there, we could ride the surf together while our love would grow. The problem was, they couldn't do that. Because none of them surfed. <laughs> Except Dennis. Dennis was the only surfer in the whole group. So everything they sang about was with somebody else was experiencing and doing. I hope you can already see where I'm going to take this. We are not here to write songs about a God we don't know. I'm not here to preach sermons about a God that I know nothing of. We're the people that do it differently. We don't just do a a walkthrough of the scriptures every week to kind of wink at them and smile at them and then say, yeah, that was great for them. Bravo, bravo, let's go Let's go take a look at it next week. No, 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 we write songs about the God we know. We write songs about the God that we experience, whose victories we've experienced. We preach about the Christ we know. We pray to the God we know. We testify to the transforming power and presence of the Spirit that we know. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that we know. And God isn't like... He's not one of these people we should go, God's getting pretty big. You should write a song about him someday. No, no, no. He's always been big. (laughs) And he'll never be small. As long as there's a church, as you see it represented in the scriptures, if you see a gospel-centered, kingdom-oriented church, he will never get small because their job is to make him big. And if we stop doing it, he will find a way to make his name known throughout all the earth. But we're the ones, and we've, we see this happen with Joshua. We're not here to just kind of like go around and go, hey, guys, uh, and, and suggest politely to the culture around us, hey, you know, you might want to think about God someday. He's getting really popular out there in some parts of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 we're the ones that are supposed to be out there going, tell me what to do. You want me to say something, I will say it. You want me to do something, I will do it. You want me to quit doing something, I will stop. You want me to go ahead and eat that, I'll eat it. That's Ezekiel reference, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, You want me to, you know, what do you want me to do? I say yes to it. You have an automatic yes for me. And when you do that and we're willing to go ahead and take that step, then you know what? That's the kind of church and that's the kind of Christian against which the gates of hell will not prevail. And so we obey God. And when it's time for the gates of hell to fall for good, there'll be another shout there'll be another horn blowing. But that's when the march is done. So when it's time for us to enter our great promised land someday, and the gates of heaven fall, we don't know when that's going to be. So we don't stop. I'm not much of a NASCAR guy. Seems really strange to just drive in circles to me. Uh, I've done it in parking lots when I was learning to drive. It wasn't that exciting, but... I know some of you probably like it. A lot of people do. Very popular. So you just go, and you know, up in the corner, there's a little ticker there that tells you how many laps you got left. I think that'd be really helpful. Right? And when you get to the last lap, they throw up a white flag. So you know, this is it. I mean, let it go, man. This is your last lap. And I would love if life kind of had that little ticker up there. God would give me a a mission, he'd give me a task, and I would put my hand to it and he would say, Tim, two more laps to go, three more laps to go, 18 laps to go, 40 more years to go. But he doesn't do that. Would I be faithful if he gave me 40 laps or 40 years or two laps or two years or whatever? Probably not. And that, that then would be, I'm going to obey you as much as I have to for this particular task. that's not how life is so I'm just here to say whatever challenge God's put before you take another lap if you want to know how to win the battle take another lap take another lap and just keep taking another lap and when the time's right the battle will be yours because, as the scripture tells us, we can be certain that God, who began the good work within us, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. So don't stop walking. Take another lap. If your knees are getting weak and your arms are dragging, get some help. We'll walk with you. We'll take the laps with you. We've got some fantastic marchers here. They can march for days, weeks, years, and they'll be happy to Take some bricks out of your backpack and share that with you and remember that the Lord Jesus has a yoke that he shares with you and he will help you so as we do it now we're going to bridge over into communion time I'd like to ask those who are going to be serving to take their spots I want you to think about what what uh what battles you might be facing Or what battle maybe you stopped walking in. You stopped too early. You stopped at six. You stopped at four. You stopped at two. I don't know what it is, but my sense is you probably know what it is. God certainly knows what it is. Maybe you need to go back and start walking again. Keep marching. And then as you're doing it, I'm going to ask you to pray for somebody else as we gather around the table this morning. Pray for somebody who you know needs the encouragement to take another lap they're about to give up they're about to throw in the towel they're discouraged because they haven't seen the results they were hoping for They're, they're discouraged because the promise of God isn't something that is really evident to them they don't see bricks falling off the top of the walls yet but they're still marching but their knees are getting weak their shoulders are hunched over they're breathing hard pray for them pray that God would give them everything that they need to keep marching Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father.